this is Abigail. And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't that just the most peaceful bumper video, the intro to the message? It's just... I love it. It's so good. Uh, I'm excited. It's the week after Easter, and I have some good news. Jesus is still risen. He's still alive. He's still reigning and ruling. It never gets old. I love Jesus so much. I think that should go without saying, but I think it's worth saying still. I I really do love Jesus. And as we were singing that second-to-last song where we were singing, He Keeps on Getting Better, um, the reality is He's not getting better, right? He already is perfect. He's holy. He's God. But it's not written from a theological perspective, but an experiential perspective, right? That the more I know him, the more I love him. The, like the idea of taste and see that the Lord is good, that the more I've experienced God, the more I'm transformed by him and I'm just enamored with who he is. So from my perspective, he does keep getting better. And my hope for you is that as we dive into this new series, you would experience the same thing, that you would say, man, the more I get to know God, the more I experience his peace, his presence, his protection, the, the more I love him. That's really my heart. And just that it, we'd go back to a little bit of the basics. Who grew up in church? Just a little participation. Some of you, a good portion of you, maybe a little more than half. I love it. Whether you grew up in church, whether you didn't grow up in church, whether you're brand new to faith, I'm so glad you're here with us. Um, Growing up in church, who knows what Sunday school is? You grew up with Sunday school. You grew up with midweek services. You went to church more than one time on Sunday. You went on Sunday nights. You know what I'm talking about? I I loved how much of the Bible was put into me growing up. I was memorizing it. I was learning it. There was always stories. Who can, little crowd participation, you know, it feels like a, you guys are not falling asleep or anything on me, but, you know, crowd participation. What is a story that you learned growing up in church? David and Goliath. I had a feeling that was going to be the first one somebody said. David and Goliath was like every other week in Sunday school, it felt like, right? You know, it's like God can do anything. He can use you. He can defeat the Goliaths in your life. And I love that. And I love, too, the reality of like growing up, you realize the greater depth of those stories, too. You know, that David was a type of Christ, that he personified Christ, that really he's the one who fought the battle for us on the cross. It's so good. What's another Sunday school story? Joseph and parted the Red Sea. Part of the Red Sea was a great one. Splits the sea. We would always talk about, you know, our God is the God who can split the sea. We didn't really tell the kids growing up that like, hey, did you know that he closed it when the Egyptians were following them and killed everybody? We, don't, we kind of leave that part out. We're like, they'll get that older when they're, they're reading the Bible for themselves. And Joseph's a great one. You know, the coat of many colors. We kind of gloss over how hard his life actually was that he was sold into slavery and things like that. And we talk about forgiveness. And we're told that we need to forgive, which is so true. And I just love, I love these stories that sometimes we stop teaching because we think we've graduated from. Well, the reality is we haven't. It's all in the Bible. It's all scripture. And we don't graduate from these truths. We don't, we don't just move on from the fact that our God is big and powerful and can do anything. And in fact, one of my prayers as we've been leading up to this series is that we would recapture some childlike faith. That we would just be able to, to view God 
the way we're meant to. You know, Jesus said that we're supposed to have childlike faith, that we're, we're supposed to be like little kids in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean we don't study scripture and grow and, and parse the verbs and things like that. We do all that. That's important. But we just need to hold on to childlike faith. It's really important. And I'm reminded of this as, as I watch my kids grow in faith. I love how they're kind of learning some of these same things and, and working that out in their own life of what does it mean that God's powerful. I remember a story, I think it was last summer, where they were talking about how strong I was. Of course, that's the story I'm going to bring, right? Like, dad's so strong. And Matthias is like, dad's so strong he could lift the house. And Judah's like, no, dad cannot lift the house. Obviously, I cannot lift the house. But then Matthias' response is, but Jesus could. And Judah's like, yeah, Jesus could. And like just that childlike faith that God can do anything, that he's so powerful. And there's something about revisiting well-known stories and well-known passages with fresh eyes that can just bring new life to them. So as we're diving into Psalm 23, and we're going to go through this really well-known psalm, I mean, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard it. It's common. It's read at funerals. It's in TV shows. It's in movies. We see it. Maybe it's in your grandma's house, cross-stitch, hanging on the wall. It's everywhere. Psalm 23 is a well-known psalm. Even if you don't know the whole thing, you know parts of it. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's, there's things that just sound familiar. But my hope and prayer is that as we go through it, slowly for the next six weeks or so that we can just see it with fresh, new, childlike eyes. That we can receive the truth that's in it. The, the, the reality is, is this came to life to me in a new way in the last year. Um, I've been studying it and meditating on it and it's, it's brought me so much peace and comfort and that's, that's our prayer as we go through it. And so I wanted to do something we don't do too often. I want to read it together. I just want to go straight through it and read it together. Psalm 23 will be on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. Good job. I think we're going to get even better at it. We're going to do it every week. So we'll kind of get in sync and get better at it. And I love this psalm because it, it just, it's so good. It's so rich and it's so deep. I've been, I've been memorizing it. Our, I already have it memorized. Abigail has it memorized. Um, we're encouraging our kids to memorize it. In fact, over the next few weeks in Hope Culture Kids, they're learning motions to it and memorizing it. And I want to encourage all of you to memorize it as well. Um, commit it to memory. There's something powerful about hiding God's word in our heart, knowing it and letting the spirit draw on it in times that we need it. Our oldest Judah, sitting right there, he's been doing a great job memorizing it. I, I hear him practicing it sometimes when he doesn't know. I walked past his room the other night when he was falling asleep. We had tucked him in and I just hear him repeating verse one in his translation where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. He gives me all I need. 
He just keeps repeating that. The Lord is my shepherd. He gives me everything I need. And the next morning he's sharing with Matthias, trying to help him memorize it. And he's like, Matthias, you got to memorize this. He's like, dad's going to take us out to ice cream if we memorize it. So <laughs> they're, they're motivated. There's a little incentive there. But also he was like, Matthias, it helps me fall asleep at night. There's something about the word of God that no matter our depth of understanding of it, it does something in our life. The spirit can move. There's no junior Holy Spirit. The word of God is living and active. And when we hide this word in our heart, it's going to do something inside of us. So as we dive into Psalm 23, anytime you're going to study something a little in depth, it's important to look at the context. So I want to look at the context a little bit. David is the author, the same guy who killed Goliath that we were just talking about. Before that, he was a shepherd. So he is well acquainted with shepherding imagery. He's writing this from experience, knowing what it looks like. In fact, I, I used to assume he probably wrote this maybe when he was a shepherd or shortly after, but it, it shows that he actually wrote this when he was a king, when he had become king over Israel. Um, most theologians and scholars say he wrote this when Absalom, his son, was trying to take over the kingdom. He was, he was gathering people to join him and kind of there was civil war going on. There was anxiety, a lot of unknown, a lot of tensions. And so to think about that, that this psalm was written in a time filled with anxiety and unknown seems pretty relevant to today. It seems like something we could use right now because all of us to some amount are experiencing unknowns in our life. We're, we're not too unfamiliar with anxiety or things that come up. I also think it's important to look at where this is written. You look at what's before it and after it. Even though the Psalms aren't like some of the other parts of Scripture where it's narrative and story and you're looking at how does this fit in or it's not in the New Testament where it's where does this fit in Paul's letter or somebody else's letter. The Psalms were still intentionally gathered the way that they were. They're split into a few different sections. And I think it's interesting to note that Psalm 22 or Psalm 23 comes right after Psalm 22. That's pretty obvious, right? You know, they're numbered in order. But Psalm 22 is the one that we talked about a few weeks ago. Abigail, when we were going through famous last words, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. David talking about painful times and going through trials. And I think there's something that when we walk through hard times, the comfort of knowing that God is our shepherd is so much sweeter. That there's a little bit of life experience that makes Psalm 23 all the more powerful. That this isn't written just in like a time where there's no understanding. It's not written in a time where he doesn't know hardship. He's gone through things. He's in the middle of unrest. And he, he pens these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I think Psalm 23 offers a different solution to satisfaction. So many of us are, are craving life. Jesus said he came to give life and life abundantly. And, you know, we're looking for it in so many places outside of him. But Psalm 23 really reminds us that true life is found in him. But to fully understand it, we need a little bit of understanding of what shepherding and, and sheep life is all about. Because most likely if we're in the Elgin area, we're not too familiar with it. You know, maybe we moved from a farm, but the reality is we probably didn't graduate high school and intern at a farm probably didn't go to ECC and get a farming degree. I'm pretty sure they don't offer that, but you know, 
We could use a little context of understanding. And David knew what it was like to be a shepherd. As I mentioned, he was a shepherd. In fact, he used his resume as a shepherd to convince Saul, the king at the time, that he should be allowed to fight Goliath. This is 1 Samuel 17. David persisted. He's been telling Saul, I can do this. God can do this through me. We shouldn't be afraid. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it. I get after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. (laughs) David is not messing around. David is like savage. He's just... He's just not going to let anything slide. He's going right after the bear and the lion. Me? If that was me, no. (laughs) That is not how that story would have gone. I would have been like, a bear? You want a sheep? Go ahead. I just have to run faster than that sheep. I don't have to run that fast. I'll just be faster than that sheep. You want two of them? Take two of them. Whatever you need, leave me alone. But David is like understanding the responsibility of a shepherd. And he also understands that the quality of life for a sheep depends on the character of the shepherd. The quality of life for the sheep depends on the character of the shepherd. I've been reading a couple books in preparation for this series. One of them is called The Shepherd's uh, Look at Psalm 23. It's written by somebody who was a shepherd, became a pastor. He kind of breaks it down, some of the imagery. The other one is called Life Without Lack, uh, Living in the Fullness of Psalm 23. Both of them are great books if you, if you want to dive deeper during this time. But the, the Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, he talks about how he could tell how much the shepherd cared by the, the health of the sheep by the demeanor of the sheep, how much attention they actually got. Because the quality of the sheep's life is directly connected to the character of the shepherd. And so David cared about his sheep deeply. He was fighting for them. And so as I'm thinking about how David understands the responsibility of what goes into a shepherd's life, thinking about him writing down, the Lord is my shepherd, it's a little bit deeper already. That David is saying, I was a pretty good shepherd, but my shepherd is the Lord. The Lord. And the more we love someone or something, the the greater extents we go to protect it, right? Because I'll be protective of a lot of things, but when it comes to like my kids, I'll be like really protective. Like there was one summer where they were they were afraid of bees because we had a bee sting. And I was like, there are no bees coming near my kids. I would, I would like protect them so they weren't afraid. I would pull off my flip-flop. And not bees because, you know, we're not supposed to kill bees. But they're like wasps. And those things, they serve no purpose other than to be killed. I think they're from the devil himself. So I'm like swatting at them. And I'm like fearless because I'm going to protect my kids. But David understands how much more that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord right there, when he writes the Lord, he's actually writing Yahweh. He's writing Yahweh. And some of you are familiar with that. You've heard that term. That's actually the name God uses for himself. In Exodus, we're reading about Moses, one of the famous characters in the Old Testament. He's the man of God. He's leading Israel. And before he started leading Israel, he has this encounter with God at the burning bush. And God's calling him to lead his people take off your sandals, this is holy ground. And Moses doesn't want to lead his people. He's like, I can't do it. I have a speech impediment, all of these things. And 
he's like, okay, fine, but if I'm going to do it, they're going to ask who's sending me, so who, who should I say sent me? And he says, Yahweh. It means I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I have been who I have been. There's so much in, in the name Yahweh. In fact, they, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even write it. They had symbols for it. Jew, Jewish people during that time, they, they wouldn't write down his name or speak it. They, they would allude to it or they'd use different names out of reverence and respect. David is saying, Yahweh, the great I am, is my shepherd. The great I am. The name Yahweh in it carries a sense of consistency. It, it literally can be translated, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That as he's proven himself faithful in the past, we know he'll be faithful in the future. That the same God who spoke the world into existence, that knows the number of hairs on my head, that is holding all things together, who loves me so much that he sent his son, that God, Yahweh, is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And this imagery isn't new to the Old Testament. In fact, the imagery of, of God's people being called sheep is over 200 times in the Bible. It's a common imagery. It was well known during that time period. So it was something people could relate to. But often in the Old Testament, it was collectively. It would be like Israel is his flock and he's the shepherd of all of Israel. But in this moment, David's personalizing it. He doesn't just say the Lord is the shepherd. He's not a shepherd. He's not our shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. There's so much power in that personal relationship that God offers us. That he's, he's our shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. Think about the care of understanding that he's shepherding over you personally. That he knows, he knows what you're going through. That you're fully known and fully loved and fully cared for. The Lord is my shepherd. There's a lot that goes with the imagery of sheep. And as I mentioned, it's over 200 times in the Bible. And I just want to mention a couple of the characteristics of the sheep-shepherd relationship. One of them is that sheep wander and shepherds guide. Sheep wander and shepherds guide. Isaiah 53 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. All of us are prone to wander. There's that, that famous song that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. There's something in us that we want to follow Jesus, and we do, and we're getting better at it and more consistent at it, and his spirit is transforming us. But there's something that sometimes we're just prone to wander. And sheep do it all the time. They're prone to wander. They the, in the book, the, the shepherds look at Psalm 23. He talks about how he had some sheep specifically that no matter which pasture he had them in, they would just walk the fence looking for an opening. The other's grass was not as good as his grass. He cared for his grass. He kept it green and fresh and lush. But they were just wandering and they were looking for just places to go off to. The sheep don't know what's best for them. I actually shared this story um, 
in December when we were doing our Christmas series, I talked about in Turkey uh, how there was 1,500 sheep that just wandered off the edge of a cliff. 1,500. So picture this sheep. We need a little, this is our mascot for the series. We need a name for him. I need some suggestions. Tell me after service what you think we should name him. But just picture this sheep. He's just wandering around and he's like, oh, I wonder what's down here. And he's just like, but it's not just him. 1,500, 1,499 of his friends followed him off the edge. They, we, we are prone to wander. But the good news is we have a shepherd who wants to guide us. We're going to learn about that as we go through this psalm, that he guides us the right way that we should go. I love another psalm, Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. People are wondering, what is the best path for my life? Follow Jesus, he will show you. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Sometimes I think we can tell how much we're truly letting God guide and direct us by how we pray. Because if we're honest, sometimes we're praying that God would confirm our plans rather than lead us. We're like, I have a plan, God. This is what I'm going to do, X, Y, Z. This is how I'm going to get there. You're going to help me get there, right? In Jesus' name, amen. We, we want God to bless our plans, but the reality is, is if we want to experience the fullness of Psalm 23, we have to start with verse 1. So often we want to rush ahead. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We're like, I'm ready to get there next week, week two. That's my week. I'm so excited for that. My cup overflows. Surely I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're excited for some of those things, but we want to skip past the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. That means we can't be our own shepherd. We have to let him lead us and guide us and show us the best path. We have to trust him. How often have we seen somebody else living their life and we're saying, what are they doing? Have you ever said that? Be honest. Have you said that to your spouse? What are they doing? That other person, my sister, their, my cousin, this friend, what are they doing? But how often is somebody saying that about us? What are they doing? If we want less, what are we doing in our life about our own life? We need to trust God to lead us and direct us. We need to follow his path. The second thing about sheep is sheep have enemies, but shepherds protect. Sheep have enemies, but shepherds protect. 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an actual enemy of our soul, the devil. And we're not a church that says the devil is behind every single rock that you failed a test and it was demons that made you get the answer wrong. No, you just didn't study. There's some stuff that, you know, is our own responsibility. But the reality is, at the same time, we do have an enemy. We have somebody who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Who wants to get us off the path that God's leading us to. The good news is, we also have a shepherd who protects us. Who cares for us. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that imagery, you know, is the imagery of a sheep walking through a land filled with predators. The valley of the shadow of death. It's a dangerous place. They could fall off a cliff. They could have a wolf attack them, a bear, a lion, anything. But David said, I will not fear for you are with me. The thing is, I want to be like, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and I will not fear because I have seen the karate kid. And I am Daniel's son. That is my name. I've trained for this. I've seen the movie. 
We're like, I have a knife. I'm ready. But the reality is, is, is fearlessness doesn't come from what we're bringing, but from who is with us. Fearlessness comes from the person we're walking with, not anything we bring to the table. See, the reality is, is the sheep will lose pretty much every fight. I don't know if you've ever seen those, those YouTube videos where it's like two things are fighting each other, like tarantula versus bird. I don't know. I watch weird stuff on YouTube sometimes. <laughs> but if those don't exist for the sheep, because if a sheep fought anything else, it's going to lose. It's like it's done for. Sheep don't do well on their own. They need a shepherd. They need someone to protect them. The reality is that his perfect love casts out fear, that we can go into hard situations and not be afraid because he is with us. Not because we have anything that's going to protect us. We have a good shepherd. Another thing I want to point out is that sheep are not good at just being wild animals on their own. They're purchased property. They do much better with a shepherd. They're one of the animals that actually lives a lot longer when a human cares for them. Their life expectancy is significantly less if they don't have a shepherd. And the reality is, is Jesus views himself as the good shepherd. In John 10, when he did that teaching where he says, I came to give life, he says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for, for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. That's what I said I was going to do. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Skip down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The greater price that's paid for something, the more you're going to care for it. The shepherd talks about that in his book, that he saved up when he first started as a shepherd and bought his first group of sheep. What is it called? A group? I don't know. Herd? Flock? Flock. Thank you. I was like, it's not a group, but I couldn't think of the word. A flock. He brought his first little flock. And he's like, I cared for them so much because I had spent pretty much everything I had. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. He died for us so that we could be invited in to be cared by him. He laid down his life for us. And he says, I have other sheep too. They're not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. I love Jesus' mission focus here. He's like, I will care for the sheep I have. They know me. I know them. But also I'm on a mission to grow my flock. That we're not, he's not just caring for what he already has. He, he wants lost people to be found. He says, I have sheep that don't even know that they belong to me yet. I'm going to bring them in. And then look at this last line. There will be one flock with one shepherd. Unity is found in who we submit to. That there is so much unity when we say that I'm following Jesus, you're following Jesus too. We might disagree on some other stuff, but we're both following Jesus. So we're in this together. There's so much power in that. Sheep wander, shepherds direct. Sheep have enemies, shepherds protect. Sheep don't do well on their own. They're better as purchased property, and Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to be part of his family. So he says, The Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, is my shepherd. The very next phrase, I shall not want. 
I shall not want. Verse 1 is really the thesis statement for the, the next five verses. That if we want a life without lack, if we want the abundant life that Jesus offers, if we want to experience the fullness of God in our life, it comes from understanding that he is our shepherd. From choosing not to follow our own way to choosing to follow him, to submit to his protection, his provision, his guidance. Because when we trust him and follow him and his goodness, I won't want. I won't be without. He's good. He's proven himself good. He guides us. He walks with us through the valley. He anoints us. He protects us. We're going to talk about all these things as we go through the psalm in the next few weeks, but verse 1 is where it all starts. Because you don't get the provision and the protection and the guiding and the anointing and the blessing and all those things without verse 1. It's only in seeing him as your shepherd that you experience that. In a, in a year that's been hard, where many of us have experienced loss of some form, loss of rhythm, loss of, of community in some sense, or just anything, anxiety, loss of a job or a loved one, just we've experienced loss or, or hard times in any way. I think meditating on these truths will bring a lot of healing. That he's good, that he's my shepherd. I found myself going back to this psalm over and over in the last six months. I would just sit there, read it, say it out loud, pray it, meditate on what it, it means. And I was experiencing his peace. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know how this is going to work out. I don't have to know X, Y, or Z. I don't have to, to have a plan for this because he's my shepherd. He cares. He loves me. He leads me. He guides me, protects me. It doesn't matter my situation. It doesn't matter if I've, I've been running too fast. He's going to help me slow down. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. It doesn't matter if, if I'm up against fear and this thing that seems like I can't get through it. He's with me in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't matter whatever I'm facing. Can, my circumstances can change, but my hope stays the same because he's with me in it all. It kind of reminds me of, of what Paul wrote in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, not that I was in need, and he's talking about them, and he's thanking them for, his support, for supporting him. The Philippian church supported Paul, and he's like, thank you. He's like, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Another translation says, I've learned the secret of contentment. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and he says this, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Sometimes we take just verse 13, we hold up at a sporting event or, or we, you know, we're like new to Jesus and we're excited about it. And it's a great verse. But if you read it in context, it's so much richer. He's saying, I can go through any situation because Christ is my strength. It's the same idea of saying, doesn't matter my situation, he is my shepherd. He will be with me. He will give me whatever I need in that 
situation. He'll give me strength. He'll give me rest. He'll give me peace. He'll give me protection. He'll give me guidance. Charles Spurgeon, sometimes called the Prince of Preachers, has a quote on Psalm 23. He says this, I do not want, I cannot want, I never shall want with such a shepherd as I have. He shall provide for me. Nay more, God himself is my provision. I love that. He says he will provide for me. And he goes, no, actually, he is my provision. All I need I have. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I cannot provide for myself, but I shall not want. Famine may come, and others who have no God to go to may pine and perish, but in the worst season I shall not want. For the Lord is my shepherd. I love that. And I'm excited for us to experience the fullness of that over the next few weeks as we memorize it, as we internalize it, as we meditate on it, as we believe it. Because this is the truth. Our hope is not in the stuff, but in the source. Our hope is not in the provision, but in the provider. Our hope is not in what I have, but who I have. My hope is not in what I'm going through, but in who I'm going with. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need today. He says he gives me what I need. Another translation says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I, ha- I shall not want. Another says, he gives me what I need. Another says, he provides for me. All these different translations. But all of it is the idea of, I have what I need right now. Doesn't say everything I want. And it's very immediate. I currently have what I need. And the reality is, is when we're experiencing anxiety and worry, we're typically borrowing from the future, Right? We're worried about what's going to happen, what could happen, how things are going to play out. We're borrowing worry from the future. But he says, no, no, no. You have what you need right now. In this moment, be present. Trust that he is your shepherd. It's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6. He says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? He goes on to list some specifics like worrying about food and clothing. And he's, he, he calls into question their faith and understanding. In verse 31, he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Remember when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd? I know my sheep. Verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I want us to just leave with a sense of peace. That we might be in a season of plenty. We might be like Paul and we're like, we've experienced abundance. You might be in a season of abundance. Praise God, I am all for it. You might be in a season where you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There are hard things happening. But the beauty of it is no matter our season, our shepherd is the same. That we can walk with peace. That we can walk with his presence 
he cares for the sparrow. How much more does he care for us? I said in the beginning, I want us to go back to just childlike faith. Kids trust their parents. We should trust the good shepherd. He's perfect. He's proven himself over and over. Yahweh, the great I am, is my shepherd. I shall not want. God, I pray that this would become so true in every area of our life. God, that this wouldn't be head knowledge, but this would, this would sink into our soul. God, I pray that even in this moment, you would heal and repair souls, emotions, that you would help us to trust you, that you are good. Would we, would we trust you enough to say that you are our shepherd, that we're not going to shepherd ourselves, we're not going to follow anybody else, we're following you. Would we trust you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Trusting you is the safest place we can be. It's the safest place that we can be. Thank you that you are our shepherd. You are my shepherd. Would I walk with that peace this week? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the reality is, is like I said, for all of us, we can't experience verses 2 through 6 if we don't start with verse 1, saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And for many of us, we've made that decision to follow Jesus, to give him our life. And this is a reminder to stay in that place, to not leave it, to not wander from it. But maybe for someone watching online or in the room, you've actually never made the decision to follow Jesus. You've never actually given him everything, given him your trust and your faith, saying, I will follow you. I want to invite you to do that in this moment, to do that right now. If that's you, I want you to pray with me. We're just going to pray, God, I'm following you. I know that I can't live this life on my own. In fact, I know that I've sinned and fallen short of your standard, that I need a savior. I need a shepherd. I believe in you and I'm choosing to follow you. In that moment, you are the sheep that Jesus was talking about that said, I have sheep that don't even know yet that I'm inviting in. Maybe that's you. If that's you, let somebody know after you pray this with us and we want to celebrate with you. But let's pray that now. God, I admit that I need a shepherd. I need a savior. That I have fallen short of your standard. That I can't do this on my own. That I can't have what you offer now and I can't have eternity with you apart from you. I thank you that Jesus died for my sin and rose again on the third day and that I can have new life. I believe in you. I'm choosing to follow you and let you guide me from this day forward. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.